Hi, welcome to another episode of Let the Light In. I'm your host, John Fiedler. Our guest today is Doug Harrison. Doug is not only a personal friend, but also a sought after spiritual director, theologian, and ethicist. It's through his roles as teacher, mentor, and spiritual companion that Doug constantly extends his unique and deep understanding of the need for an ongoing dialogue between the larger church and the LGBTQ community. He issues the call for all who will listen that God is with us here, now, in this moment. He reminds us to be gentle with each other as we seek out identity and meaning as LGBTQ plus people of faith. The first half of this two-part interview will explore the themes of transformation, formation, suffering, love, and reconciliation by revisiting past experiences of exclusion and isolation. Doug's vulnerability and openness offer a fresh and vital voice to those who seek out the holy friction between faith and sexuality. Listed below in the description section of this podcast are links to any books, articles, or other resources we may have mentioned. Remember to like and follow Let the Light In podcast, Facebook, and Instagram. This will ensure that you're notified when the second part of our interview with Doug is released. Join us. Welcome to Let the Light In. Thanks. It's really good to be here. I've been looking forward to uh, having this conversation for quite a while. I've explained to you a little bit about what we've done over the last uh, few months and that we're developing a series on LGBTQ spirituality, what unique gifts LGBTQ people bring to the table, how their lives shape and form, or how our lives shape and form our uh, spiritual life, our response to a spiritual life, our response to a religious life and how we survive and thrive as LGBTQ people of faith. Being that you have a beautiful, unique gift expressing these sorts of uh, timeless questions around spirituality and uh, acceptance and openness and just radical love and inclusion, I thought it'd be nice to hear your perspective. Also, too, um, if you wouldn't mind introducing yourself a little bit, kind of give us a context for who you are, where you're from, what you're... I think I sort of have to now with a kind of a buildup like that. Yeah. It's like really, I need to I need either to defend myself or explain some things. So, yeah. <laughs> so uh, thank you, John. It's good to be here. I, I, I am Doug Harrison, living here in Austin, Texas. So I'm a spiritual director. And I am the director of an art collective that develops uh, transformational art experiences for people, hopefully really change people's lives. That's a lot of fun. I have also been a theologian for many years. For about 16 years, off and on, I've taught theological ethics. That's actually how we met. Mm -hmm. um, was uh, And academically been committed to thinking as the church and with the church and thinking specifically through Christian theology. But also I've had this life connected to people uh, who've been very much outside of the church, to the artistic community and people who aren't comfortable at all with the church. And so I've had ongoing conversations and dialogues. I've been in a different relationship to the gay and lesbian community at different times throughout that too. So this is fun for me to talk about and it's important for me to talk about because so much is changing too. Mm -hmm. uh, what it means to be out as a Christian is different 
than what it meant when I moved here to Austin, even just 14 mm. years ago. Well, even different from our own childhoods, where Absolutely. that just wasn't a thing. You uh, you weren't out as a Christian. Do you mind if I ask how you identify? Absolutely. So for me, it was a lot of work to come out as gay. Mm-hmm. Uh, I am cisgendered male. Owning the word gay took a long time. I think I even... Man, for years, I think I referred to myself as someone with homosexual tendencies. Mm-hmm. Like I leaned that direction, but who knows it was possible when I think that was quite settled early. <laughs> um, so uh, being gay, owning that identity was really important to me. And actually, in the past few years, I've really moved towards queer for a lot of different reasons. Queer seems to be a little bit more all-encompassing for me, a little bit more inclusive. Which I don't think it's always meant that either. I think queer meant marginal and um, particularly progressive. And I think that there is still aspects of that. Also, I think it's a really good time for everyone under a rainbow umbrella to uh, have a lot of patience with each other with what kind of language we choose. And Mm -hmm. uh, even as we're sort of sorting through pronouns and... um, uh, and how people refer to each other with gender and plural and single pronouns. Uh, it's just a good time for us to be patient because we probably aren't where we're going to land with this, but I need to find a way of talking that is uh, not just authentic for me, but that it is communicating something effectively to all the different people in my life, people who are frustrated by that identity and people who embrace that identity or people who are jealous of that identity, so all those things. Uh, it's good to be patient with each other. So, and, and I was in a recent group with a wonderful group of people, ages between 19 and 82. Hmm. It was a queer reading group. And um, we had agreed to read a book uh, with the word queer in the title, but didn't agree that we would refer to ourselves that way. Because for some people, uh, that was such a harsh, violent word. Mm-hmm. They, were not, uh, they did not feel comfortable embracing that so i that's how i identify i'm it takes some getting used to because it was gay felt weird gay felt negative it felt like a mean word and it took a long time to get used to that queer still has a little sting to me and that's kind of why i think i actually embrace it too is because i want to i want to push through that into whatever's next we have we have new freedom now to start exploring these terms and Mm -hmm. i i just want to reinforce or validate what you said about being patient with each other with these turns because we don't know how this is all gonna come out mm-hmm. or if it you know this is a continuously evolving conversation now that we're able to have this conversation more freely in the public domain we're having all of these things just start surfacing that have been under the radar for so long and so yeah patience is key but i really want to touch on that 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 uh that weirdness you were talking about uh, when you mentioned the word gay and how difficult it, it can be to identify as that um, and how that relates to your experience growing up as as a person of faith in, in a Christian family and how you handled that. How, how, mm, how yeah. was it? How old were, if you don't mind me asking, how old are you when you began to identify as uh, a gay or at least begin the, the first step? It's a really good question. Uh, and it's one that's been pretty hard for me to answer because, mm-hmm. um, I mean, I own the identity 
you know, again, like I was in college and I was still saying homosexual tendencies as if, again, I was a straight person who was slightly bent or twisted. Mm. Like that really was sort of, there was some, on some convictional level, even though at that time, even I was like, uh, that's not quite right. There was just a lot of pieces that didn't fit together, but there was that, I had that leftover language of I was just a person, but I had homosexual tendencies attached in addition to being a person, as if that was sort of the non-person side of me. So um, for me to actually own, when I, when I really, where it really clicked in, I think that I would have been in uh, a sophomore or a junior in high school, which I think a lot of people today would say is quite late, but... Um, I had already been attracted to men. I'd already experienced that. But to actually, rather than that just be sort of a slightly subconscious rolling movie in my mind somewhere, it was somewhere in my sophomore or junior year that I said, hey, these are the desires you're having and they have a name. And you don't have other desires. You're not longing for women. This is the truth. The mm -hmm. truth is, gay is really the right word for you. Uh, and again, so the, blind, the mind takes a long time to work that out. But for me to actually own that probably was mid to late high school. You grew up Nazarene. Yes. And uh, could you familiarize us with uh, what are their, what's their stance on yeah. homosexuality? I should probably start by talking about my experience just of faith within the community that I was part of. Because we can talk about the denomination secondarily. Actually, yeah, it, it should be about It you. shows up, yeah. yeah. It, and it does matter later. But early, um, I have amazing parents um, and actually a really incredible uh, brother. And now his family are all quite lovely. So I had parents who genuinely loved me, who I think felt extreme internal conflict themselves on the realization that I was gay. But for, for me... You know, we would talk about gays as a bad thing, and those were those people over there. And then there was how much God loved everyone, and God loved me. And there were some mixed messages in there, too. There was a lot of legalism in the church I was part of. And, but we also just read the Gospels. And we did uh, take us across the, the California-Mexico border uh, on a yearly basis, and some people call, would call it mission work, but really what we did is maintain friendships across that border. Mm -hmm. And I really did go down and volunteer uh, with uh, runaway teens in Hollywood uh, with all sorts of um, uh, issues that seemed extreme to my suburban white life, drugs and prostitution and, um, and just the violence that had come from the houses, the abuse and the, uh, all the sorts of things that were so foreign to me. And yet we said there's love everywhere. There's love everywhere. And we talked about the love of God and we meant the love of God. And my parents demonstrated the love of God. And then occasionally our language would go kind of wacko and we wouldn't. We'd talk about the gays or we'd talk about something else. Or, you know, sometimes it was the Catholics or the Calvinists or just something slightly <laughs> different. And so it, it got complicated. But I never, that's, I think that's part of the reason I never thought of myself as gay is because that was those people over there. Mm -hmm. And even though I could intellectually make sense that those words really applied, there was still something just kind of normal about my sexuality growing up in, in junior high school a little bit. There was also some very messed up pieces to it as well that, um, uh, that I think that some other, uh, there were some definitely some predatory uh, personalities in theater and arts that um, I think with lots of people my age, men and women, 
just kind of tried to exploit people's sexuality, whatever it was, and try and get people to engage on that level and, and at age the ages that weren't appropriate, like high schoolers yeah. with junior hires, just trying to get people to talk about it, to identify it. And I think that there were some people that really was trying to call out that gayness of me to see where it might want to go. And that was mm. very unhealthy for me. And because it, again, it was, there was just a mixing of feeling like a bad guy and being preyed upon and not having boundaries respected and yet i still felt loved by god so it was just a really awful mixed soup but i think that that's why it took as late as high school even though all the pieces were there mm-hmm. for me to actually say guess what gay attracted to men that's it that's <laughs> where that's going not going to change that's a difficult struggle as a person of faith there's a contradiction there's this extreme tension between being gay and being a christian uh because the the overwhelming message from Christianity, and I know there are exceptions, but the overwhelming message from Christianity is that homosexuality is a bad thing. But then the other overwhelming message from Christianity is that God is everywhere. We're all loved. We're all included. So there's this really intense tension. Did you feel that tension internally with yourself? Absolutely. Uh, And and at times, horrifically. Mm -hmm. Uh, But given the memes that uh, Christians rant against the gays and and, and are, are and, the, and vice versa. Uh, I, I feel like we don't quite get at the truth of my story mm-hmm. if I even lead with that. Okay. Because um, I've had uh, depression for uh, chemical reasons, biological reasons. My brain just doesn't work like other people's does. And so that's, but a lot of my self-esteem, my mental health struggles, especially through college, just out of college, deep inner conflict, feeling um, defective, mm-hmm. feeling uh, somehow made incorrectly. Or at the time when in the 80s to not be fully masculine was to not, and this is for men or women, sure. um, I thought it was just for men at the time, but to not be male is to not be person in our culture. That's the depth of the patriarchy. So when I found that I was effeminate in some way or not, you know, I didn't love guns and football like the other (laughs) men in my life did, I felt really subhuman. So that inner conflict was deep and it was powerful, but it's as much as a product of of the patriarchy that we were all experiencing. And that showed up in my community of faith. But, uh... And they got it wrong at places, to be clear. They, they, I never heard anything, I never heard anybody say anything compassionate or good about a gay person in my childhood at the church that I went to. Now, that probably triggers a lot of people's familiarity, and I see eyes rolling through a podcast. I can just hear your people's eyes rolling. (laughs) And at the same time, though, you're missing the truth of my story if we don't see the depth of compassion and grace. And love that was embodied by this community and how they would help anyone. And I saw people caring for people who were gay and we didn't discuss it, didn't come up. Um, uh, And that has its pluses and minuses. But this was a community of genuine faith and love. And at the end of the day, they continued, like I mentioned, we read the Gospels together. And so at the end of the day, the story that I was held to, the story that they told me was the story that drove who we were. It made more sense for me to work out this conviction that God loved me 
than to abandon the whole story because of how they talked about gays. So I actually stuck with the church. And unlike a lot of people, I never have had a time that I have entirely left being an active member of the church to work out my faith. I know a lot of people leave and develop a different sense of spirituality. A lot of people leave and uh, give up on, uh, not give up on, that's not fair, but uh, who, who move away from any notion of God whatsoever. Some people leave and they come back. But for me, I, it's always been a part of my life because it's always been complex and that love has always been such a compelling narrative and in such a practical sense in the, the family that I was part of and, um, and the community that I was part of. Uh, they, they got a lot wrong, but these people loved me. Mm-hmm. Uh, Elizabeth Cole, uh, rest your soul, uh, was a, an amazing missionary in the early part of the 20th century who left her life in the, in the United States and went off to start a leper colony in uh, several places in the southern African continent, was later recognized by the Queen of England for her work. I didn't know any of this, but she came up to me when I was in first grade, and she was an old woman then and said, I believe God has a plan for your life, so I will pray for you until I die. Yeah. <laughs> so she did, and uh, she died several years ago, and every time I saw her, she had a gift for me, she had a story for me, and she just loved me, and I don't think, I think it would have hurt her, I think it would have been frustrating her to find out that I was openly gay, I don't think it would have stopped her praying for me, and I don't think it would have stopped her loving me. Mm-hmm. And that story needs to be left as complicated as it is. I love that woman. I took her name at my confirmation, uh, and uh, she'll always be part of my life. I think that's where a lot of Christian gays, or a lot of gays of faith, regardless of the faith, I think that's where a lot of us sometimes find ourselves, is in that 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 middle ground of uh, almost ambiguity, where we don't necessarily want to lose the beautiful as the beautiful experiences the beautiful people the love the 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 community the church but at the same time too there's also a lot of hurt there and a lot sure. of uh of uh exclusion and uh, we have a tendency i think uh to kind of throw the baby out with the bathwater mm, yeah. when we leave you know so many of us have such a negative experience in church uh, or such a negative experience with family and church, usually a combination of both, that uh, we reach a certain point where we're just saturated and we're like, that's it, we're done. I'm out. Mm-hmm. And I, 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 can't, I can't deal with this anymore. And uh, I think that if we can find a way to exist in a loving environment with that tension then maybe we wouldn't have this overwhelming desire to to just chunk it all. And I think stories like yours with yeah. Elizabeth Cole, um, that's a powerful story. I mean, I have stories like that in my life uh, with relatives and priests and, you know, various people throughout my existence. And I'm sure many of us do, but we are looking for ways to reclaim that level of, communal intimacy of belonging how did you reconcile that inside yourself the the tension between between what your religion taught and what you felt god to be that that's a that's a good question and i would like to to be a little relentless in reshaping that question sure so the tension for me was not between the church's teaching and something inside me. Mm-hmm. 
it was between the church's teaching here and the church's teaching and their loving embodiment here and the gayness inside me and my self-hatred and my self-love and the deep spirituality I had even as a child. So it's not, uh, there's not a polar tension between those folks and me mm. th that it was always complicated. Okay. And so there was lots of tensions and uh, I, you know, and so I, I, I've had moments of, uh, I saw someone on TV talk like this uh, just this week and talk about their experience growing up gay and Christian. And it broke my heart because I saw the emotion in their eyes as, they were saying, I prayed that God would take this away. And I've been there. Like, mm -hmm. I prayed God would fix this. Because I was like, oh, God, I'm so on board here. I am so, <laughs> like, your guy right now. And, like, if you could just fix this one thing, you would have a hell of a servant. But, no, you made me like, guys, thanks. That's mm -hmm. that's on you. <laughs> so there was that real, real deep suffering. But uh, there was also always the church's other teaching and for me i think one of the graces that i saw that internal conflict in and of itself and i think that that's where we go wrong is that sometimes we think that that's just that we think that that because um, the church does something really really articulates something poorly even if it's sort of saying something that is right ish but says it poorly mm -hmm. then we do we chuck the baby out with the bathwater. Yeah. now also there are some people it, when you're in an unhealthy situation, to some of you, I just say get out. Absolutely, God's happier for you to stop being abused and shamed uh, than for you to, you know, to try and find something like I found if it's not in that community that you're a part of. But for me, you know, it was just that the image that was painted for me of what a really good Christian would be was somebody who, like Elizabeth Cole, who picked up and made huge sacrifices. Now, this is a, this is a single woman in the 1920s early 1920s, who hopped on a boat and it took months to get to Africa. And she didn't find a wealthy suitor. She didn't raise horses like was her childhood dream. She sacrificed a lot and she went over and she took a little town that was known as the thrown away people. And that town changed its name because of her work there and understood them to be God's chosen people. And that was the image of what a real Christian was painted for me. And I said, I want to be that. And you know what? That hasn't changed. Like, I want to go into people's lives. And I especially want to see where people feel like they are God's rejects or the world's rejects. And to show them that they are the cornerstone the world's rejected. That God chooses to make beauty, to make holiness known. So that was the story I was being told and then we mentioned gay stuff sometimes. So the main thread of what I was being painted was a rich, vibrant Christian faith. Mm -hmm. And and the gay thing isn't also the only thing they were getting wrong. I mean, there was just kind of an overemphasis on, like, not swearing. So, like, as we got older and, you know, you met people that would swear and I would feel so guilty about it. And, um, and I, I see there's reasons culturally for that to be the case but it really didn't seem soul shattering to me sure. to drop an f-bomb in an mm -hmm. angry moment so there, that was kind of tweaked it was just out of so the more i began to see there was just that didn't line up with the gospels i didn't find it in the scriptures anywhere this just really made sense for us to be judging people like that so there was a lot of things that were inconsistent but that was somewhere where the grace was is that the fact that the church was being inconsistent made it much easier for me to say, you might be wrong here, than it is for me to say, screw this, I'm out. 
I could just say, you know, what if you're just wrong about this? Mm-hmm. And that began, began for me a much more harrowing journey of like, well, what if I wasn't always going to be Nazarene? Because I love these people and they've shown me so much and they've cared for me. But as I got older and as it became more of a denominational issue and as um, and I was really good friends with the Dobson family. I hate to even say them by name, but they are well known. They are public about these issues. I really, really loved uh, Ryan and his dad and his mom. Uh, uh, I didn't know his sister well, but uh, they were they were family in the church and we shared a lot. They started Focus on the Family. Okay, thank you. And they made a lot of uh, statements about, uh, that I thought were occasionally quite awful about what it meant to be gay. And I just knew it was wrong. And that created a lot of division. And I started to go, okay, this is unsustainable. And so many people from my church would work at Focus on the Family before it moved to a different state. And so then I went to college and then sort of, uh, you know, the way people were started talking, you know, now I was in the dorm rooms and we were talking about sex because we're in college and we had to have Christian talks about sex and um, which was uh, always easy for me. They were never difficult conversations because we never talked about anything I was interested in. (laughs) 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 Now, living with hot surfer guys, that was harder. But talking about sex was like super easy because I was so pure. Especially with hot surfer guys. Right, yes, yeah. (laughs) Um, but, I, you know, as that statements would be made and then someone from like a chaplain would say something. And then, of course, you know, as the issue became more prominent culturally, uh, then the denomination said things that I just had to say, you know what, like, I clearly just can no longer be here. Mm-hmm. Like, you just don't want me here. And the, the real conflict, and this is one thing I think people can watch out for, it, it wasn't even being treated like it was a sin. Because with a sin, um, you... You can repent. Uh, there is no path of repentance within a lot of conservative churches. Like if you are gay, you are doomed for hell. There is no course of redemption, especially now that a lot of conversion therapy has been wildly disproven. And I even think that's complicated. I don't think all sexuality is the same. And maybe some of it is more malleable than others. Uh, please don't take that as an endorsement for us to go curing gays. I'm just no, saying, no. you know... People develop fetishes for lollipops and for high heel shoes. Um, I find those harmless for the most part, depending on how they play themselves out. I don't see why somebody couldn't develop a fetish uh, for same-sex bodies, and that maybe that that's not life-giving to them too. Sex is just complicated, and I'm I'm willing to let it be complicated. But when we've reduced it in the church so much that the minute you identify as being attracted to someone of the same sex. There is no path of ministry, of service, of participation, except denial. So that the only way forward within the church is to lie, is to sin. That's a clear contradiction. Mm-hmm. So I knew that they had to be wrong because it philosophically, mathematically didn't make sense. Like if you want to stay here and be a Christian, you have to sin. You yes. have to lie. And I, that's a no-go for me. And that's what started to raise questions for me. And at the same time... It was this church that I went to, uh, I went to a Nazarene college and I walked in and I said, for a lot of reasons, I just started, this was 1989 and I'd just been introduced through some acting projects and some film projects. I'd met someone with uh, HIV AIDS uh, and I went, I was so compelled by this and by a song, a song by Steve Camp that came out at the time. Uh, everybody look it up. It's so good. Um, and I was so moved by the AIDS crisis in 1989, I went to this conservative evangelical school and I said, we have to do something about AIDS. It's wrong for us not to. This is not the time to argue about sexuality. This is life and death. And the world is 
doing it wrong. Let's do something. And their immediate response was, of course. Uh, here's a $500 budget, and here's a phone number of a woman who's open to hospice. Go see what good you can do. And so, uh, again, there's this mixed message, but somebody got it right because somebody was reading the Gospels too. And so I spent the next four years of my life in college uh, developing an AIDS ministry at uh, at Point Loma Nazarene College, which I think may still be active, uh, or was for a long time. And those relationships began to push me again into, uh, for me just to walk up and say, forget this, I'm going to go over here and be this, X and Y, would have been clear cut and easy. But to actually say, God is here with me in this moment with this person who is openly gay, the possibility that it was so transgressive, and, and we're getting at, I think, what some of the gift of being gay is. It was so transgressive to be in this place where I knew I had to be for the reason of God's compassion and to find grace and insight and love there and then to have my peers join me in large groups and begin to participate and make sacrifices to be there. And then what I learned about working with the homeless from there, there was so much compassionate ministry that came to my life because of that university that there was no way I could walk away from being Christian at that point. It was very much a part of my soul, core of my identity and my calling. So I could no more be ex-gay than I could be ex-Christian, even though I was trying to be ex-gay at the time. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's kind of reflective of my own story. I reached a certain point where it's like, separating being gay from me would be like, or being Christian from me would be like separating being gay. And it's just not something that I can do. Um, so yes. I, I don't mean with the questions to reduce your experience. Not at all. Yes. That level yeah. of tension. I just know that for a lot of people who uh, listen to us, uh, their families may not have been so loving and right. uh, open, or uh, their family may not have been as invested in their church outside of just going to church to say your family or my family was and uh, they may not they may just be hearing that negative message because that's really right. all that's been focused on um, how do you feel that your how do you how do you think that growing up gay taking into account all that entails as far as um, the more negative aspects of it unfortunately the the, the, the idea of being of exclusion of uh, kind of a less than referred to or like you said the the path to redemption was closed off in a lot of ways mm -hmm. um how do you feel that that has influenced those parts of you that you view as spiritual gifts that you're able to mm. exercise and and share with people that you encounter in your own ministry yeah well um that's such a great question. It's so key to, um, and I think that if I had, for me, if Doug had shifted gears suddenly, if I had sort of quit the church and, you know, taken gay as an identity, as my whole identity, as my spirituality, there's a lot of the best of who I am I would have missed out on. So, um, so I kind of have two part answer to this. One is, um, the reason I try to tell my story in a way that's complex is not because, and I don't feel reduced by your question at all. In fact, I think sure. it's primarily the question people are asking yeah. because it is so clear and there's so many churches that are just so awful. There's no, there's no small sample of no. churches <laughs> that are horrible um, to, to different kinds of people for different reasons, to women, um, to people of color. Uh, so, but it's important, I think, to, to weave in the complexity of my story, because even if you go back into those difficult times, 
even in that, I, I honestly believe that God is always at work in every single human's lives. And I think when we recognize of the possibility of complexity, which my life had the gift of being quite complex, if we can acknowledge the possibility of complexity, then we can go back and see that story differently. That while somebody was being relentlessly awful to you, maybe without even trying very hard, God was doing something else. And and that that presence was there somewhere through a neighbor, through a moment of reprieve, through that own sense of courage, internal courage and strength that seemed to come out of nowhere, that God is at work constantly. has so much internal strength in, in people that are gay and lesbian that have survived that. So um, I would love, and if I set, if I had a chance, and when I had the chance to sit down with gay and lesbian people in spiritual direction, I do often love to go back and walk through their stories and see where their own depth of spirituality was showing up even when they were four or five, yeah. or, or when God provided grace for them through another means when the church church wasn't doing well or through a different part of the church. Um, so uh, my if my story can be complex, then maybe yours is more complex than you thought too. Having said that, um, yes, there is a clear setup though, that there is this dynamic, at least cultural tension. It's like gays versus Christians or gays versus religion. And I think that's precisely where the gift begins to emerge. In fact, the reading group I had mentioned earlier was a reading a book called Queer Virtue by Elizabeth M. Edmond, and she's an Episcopal priest, and it's called Queer Virtue. And really her thesis is that um, the gift of being queer is uh, is to rupture. That uh, there is something that is, and this is my language, not hers, not normal. There's something queer about being a gay man that doesn't let the same patterns of our society play out as they do. Now, that's kind of big philosophical talk. Well, what does that mean? It means that what in small relationships, in my intimate relationships, the patterns that other people fall into sometimes don't fall into with me because they don't work. Um, the sexual tension that some of my female friends fall into with their male friends doesn't work here. It's, it's thwarted somehow. The, um, the kind of homophobia that is a pattern in a lot of male relationships that prevents them from intimacy doesn't work here. And I want to hug you anyway. And I might even, uh, you know, uh, you know, once I grow up and learn some boundaries and where I stop another start, I learned to sort of ask that of my friends to be better huggers, to talk to me, to, for us to share our lives. So I have intimacy with men and women uh, across the board in a way that a lot of my straight friends don't have. And I think it's one of the things that's led me into sort of a spiritual vocation is I get to go places with people that others don't. It disrupts the patterns that are sometimes so unhealthy for us. It disrupts society. And men, uh, now, the group that I was in, it's a fairly liberal group that would probably not put a lot of emphasis on converting people. Now, having said that, this really respected member of my group kept saying, oh, man, this is why gays, this is why queers make great evangelists and i just laughed because i'm like would not have expected her to say that and i'm like keep talking tell me more and she's like well because and i this is my experience if i say i am gay and christian people go um okay keep talking i have the same experience yes so, and they're like wait you were you were confirmed as a catholic when like as a conscious adult like you weren't like in a coma or like you did this on purpose yeah, yeah, you you studied that you went to school for this. You actually get out of bed on Sunday mornings and go to church. Yeah, I do. Yeah, all of those things. 
And so obviously that complexity is creative and dynamic for other people and not just in the area of sexuality. Mm -hmm. That again, the complexity of my story is I think fruitful soil for people to borrow for their own spirituality to begin to grow and, and to say, okay, help me, help me let things be complicated. Yeah. And I, th I think that that, and if we do it well, it's peaceable. Uh, even if it's extremely disruptive, even if we're marching against something, I, I don't know anybody who's gay who really has the agenda of making everybody gay. Never met one. Never mm. met one. No. Um, I heard someone kind of talk like that, but they were really drunk and I, don't think, I think they were just, I think it was just wishful thinking because of the cute guy sitting next to them at the time. So um, I think really, I think what people want is for there to be complexity and for people to have that opportunity to fight for your own authenticity and to be excruciatingly honest, even though it's expensive. It's what an experience, what a gift in my life. Oh, I just got the chills. I just gave myself the chills. <laughs> um, what, a, what an incredible gift in my life to have been asked to be excruciatingly honest, even when that was expensive for me. To have to learn that, to say to people, I am what you despise. And I'm not going to hide that from you. Mm -hmm. I can sit here in front of you as despised and just own this inside me enough with enough courage and enough strength to be okay with how your response goes, no matter how much it hurts. That's beautiful and inspiring, actually. And I really think you've touched on something with the, uh, the idea of going back into our lives. And as we tell our own stories, find those places where grace, God's grace has, yeah. has, has worked so powerfully in our lives and transformed almost... As I get older, I start to experience uh, a transformation of the stories from my childhood about growing up gay and Catholic. Mm. And you look back on it, and you, I've identified, it's like, wow. So in that moment, God actually was working in my life, too. Oh, yeah. Yeah, uh, th throughout my whole life, but particularly in those times where I felt the most excluded or the most uh, left out or the most uh, uh, unchristian and to be able to go back and revisit those parts of your life and identify where uh, God's grace was actually working to form you into the person you continuously are. Yeah. Uh, that maybe it would help lessen the pain for a lot of folks if they were able to experience that journey as well or yeah. revisit their journey and start seeing transformation in it more yes. as a way of informing your current situation moving forward than as just the pain of the past. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, uh, uh, please. Yeah. I, I, I just think that for a lot of people saying I'm gay and God made me this way is a starting point. Mm -hmm. And that hopefully you can start saying, so how else did God make you? Mm -hmm. But for a lot of people saying I'm gay and God made me this way is a kind of way of saying, so shut up and you don't get to tell me or recognize anything. It's up to me to recognize my own beauty and I get to call it and nobody else gets to participate in my beauty and I don't have to offer it as a gift. And it becomes really isolating. And I think that's that's really sad to me how this um, culture wars have played out. So for me, um, so I have this huge cowardice streak in me. I just, ah, I don't know. I got an extra dose of the shivers when I was born or something. I can be so afraid. And I remember thinking, you know, because I felt called to ministry in, uh, in high school, maybe college. And I always remember thinking, 
I'm going to try really hard to be a great minister and to sort of make my place in the Church of the Nazarene. So I did that. And then um, I, I, I went to grad school and I studied some liberation theology. And that started to nudge me to go, mm, these are bigger questions than this particular set of theology is able to address. So maybe I need to reach a little further. And that started to really, you know, like, oh, what if I'm not a Republican? took me to grad school to really ask that. That's not hysterical. Um, so I, you know, what if I'm not a Republican? So I went back and did a master's degree and that master's degree started having me read Christian history and reading people outside the Nazarene tradition. And I was like, oh, those are so many more colors out there for me to paint with. I spent 1995 the summer working with Mother Teresa. So a different part of the world, a different, you know, expression, Christianity altogether that a lot of Nazarenes wouldn't have considered her Christian for being Catholic. And then a year later, I went and lived at L'Arche Community, which is a, an intentional community of people that live with people with disabilities. It comes out of a Christian spirituality, but open to everyone. And I, I just kept feeling like the deeper I went in my faith, the further it was pushing me out of my safety zone. And part of that was just being gay at some point. Like, again, the, the Nazarene church was not, I either was going to be closeted. I even was a Nazarene pastor. I stayed in the closet quite a bit. I taught at a Nazarene school and I was a Nazarene pastor associate pastor for a while and um and that ended sort of tragically with being outed again i'm like i'm called i'm celibate but i'm going to be involved with the gay and lesbian center i'm going to be out to a group of people because i'm not going to shove this down and be unhealthy about it so i'll be i'll be closeted and discreet about it um no that somebody eventually outed me because that wasn't enough so that that little bit of awfulness and violence pushed me outside of the edges of the nazarene church and then that pushed me into this wonderful Mennonite church and that deepened my relationship with people with disabilities. And from then my spirituality began to grow. And now I just, at some point I felt like my ministerial calling was not just not only the Nazarene church, but it was to the whole church. That if I was going to write, if I was going to sit down with someone, if I was going to pray, that I really wanted to minister to every Christian. And so I started teaching outside of the Nazarene institutions. And then I moved to Austin and then uh, a lot of my dynamics changed and I left ac academics and I got pushed into an artist's world that sort of terrified me when I started there. And now I'm a member of the Burn community, uh, the Burning Man regional community in Austin, Texas that terrified flip side. me. Flips, yeah. Burning Flipside locals, thank you. Uh, and suddenly I was like, oh, I remembered going, oh my God, it took this rejection and this struggle for God to see I'm here to love every neighbor, every neighbor. And it's not as if I just thought I would only love the church. It's just, I think that my, my scope was small, but it was actually rejection mm -hmm. and conflict and the expansion of my heart by some of the depth of the rest of the Christian tradition, Mother Teresa and Large, um, some of the saints, uh, Teresa of Avila, uh, Augustine, Benedict, uh, Catherine of Siena, these, they, my heart grew to where it wouldn't fit in um, one small playground I wanted to set up for myself. And I felt suddenly that the world was my parish and I have a responsibility to love and to uh, communicate the love of God to everybody that I meet. I was saying that to a friend at Flipside one time and I said, it's really, honestly, it's really important to me that if you pass through my life that you know the love of God. And he goes, I don't believe in God. <laughs> and I said, well, that... That's not my first concern. We can put that far down the list. My, my first concern is not to make you believe in God. It's to make sure you've known the love of God. Mm -hmm. But that's come, that is the specific 
sense of vocation that has come from that sense of being rejected, of having conflict, of being refused jobs. Even recently, just a couple years ago, perfect job came along for me to work with people with disabilities in arts. Wouldn't consider my application uh, because I'm openly gay. And again, celibate, so, you know, should be fine, but <laughs> it was a no-go. And so you can only do that so many times before the only right thing that comes out of me if I stay close to God is that everybody is part of my ministry, no matter how strange, frankly, no matter how evil. Mm -hmm. So a murderer, a thief, a child molester, doesn't mean there aren't boundaries. It doesn't mean there aren't consequences, but God loves every single human that's alive. And there is some appropriate way to love that person. doesn't mean I'm always equipped to do it. I have to know my limits, but that is the right goal. The world is who God wants me to love. It sounds like you've really kind of tapped into the most powerful aspect of this, for me anyway, and that's the, the struggle itself. Mm. You, you talked uh, briefly about uh, realizing that you were kind of in a small pool and there was a bigger group yes. of folks out there to love. And yeah. um, I think a lot of us come to that crossroads and that's where our discernment gets a little a little off course is we're not really not sure which which direction we're going to go. Are we going to walk away mm. from this or are we going to dive deeper and open up ourselves, realizing that our own woundedness is mm. oftentimes the best and the most fruitful gift we have to give yeah. to each other. Uh, because it's in that woundedness that we find healing from relationship. I mean, in relationship, we find healing. And we experience the love of God. Yeah. That's just transformative. I mean, it truly is. But it, it's when we come to that crossroads that so many of us, I think, kind of fall to the wayside because we don't know how to reimagine the negativity we've had at younger ages as, as people of faith. And we haven't learned how to transform those experiences into a more giving and uh, loving uh, action like you have. So is, was there something or someone or an unfolding of things that you feel equipped you to uh, better deal with this transition and remain a faithful, a, fa a man of faith? Hmm. I, um, that is such a good question. I've never been really asked that before <clears throat> quite that way. And uh, I hesitate to answer because I, um, I just haven't reflected on it as part of it. But also because what I want to say is something that makes me sound really cool. Oh, dude, please. You <laughs> are... like, Doug is cool, by the way. I think it has so... to do with my overall brilliance. That's mm -hmm. the main thing that yeah. really is different from me and everybody else. So I'm more brilliant. You know? But actually, as you were talking, what really strikes me is... Uh, I we did read the Gospels and we did go to Mexico and I was in this movie and I did meet someone with HIV and I did go to this school that they all of these things cracked this door of compassion open mercy and at first there was plenty of opportunity to be a do-gooder but we were really doing in a lot of places it, there was, it was hard to accomplish something. Uh, even, it, you know, there are a lot of things trying to solve world hunger. I couldn't point to how many people I'd fed. 
we were dealing with how much time I spent rubbing the feet of someone who was about to die. And mm. even that person wasn't going to go on whispering my name to the universe or bragging about me. So they're just real compassion was really moving towards suffering. And then I read Henry Nowen's book, uh, from now in Morrison at McNeil called compassion. And it talked about moving towards suffering and there is something sacramental about it, by which I mean, there's a means of grace in learning to move towards suffering because of what has to happen in that. You know, when I, you mentioned like there's the gift is that somewhere in our woundedness, we, that becomes like the, our gifted space. And I think the reason for that is it's where we are wounded that the thickest and most generous portions of God's love are poured out. So when I can, um, when I discover that I can sit near suffering and woundedness long enough to let God sustain me, uh, and, and small doses is good. I mean, we get overwhelmed and it just kills us and it's, that's where you get PTSD. Sure. So I'm not telling everybody to go off and go watch someone die or suffer. Yeah. But in that call, and this is this is this this is the Jesus call, is to descend to the earth even if they're going to kill you. It's to be honest about being gay, even if they'll reject you. And it's to move to that place of alienation and sit there in small doses, just long enough to discover if you see it, the love of God is already shining its light on it. And if the love of God is already shining its light on it, there's already healing. And then you move a little bit further. And you move to that wounded place. And it's there's a little bit thicker, a little bit more generous portion of the love of God poured on that. And the, the presence of people like Elizabeth Cole and the support of the Nazarene College to help me and the graduate school to help me move toward compassion, um, that that eventually led me to work with Mother Teresa, that eventually put me into Larsh, and Larsh more than anywhere else. I lived with people with disabilities, and suddenly I felt like I was home. I felt my own defectiveness come to the surface, and I felt my this passionate love for these people I lived with that were such good friends, and to see their giftedness, for them to see my giftedness. So the thing that sustains me most right now, when the world seems a mess, it really is to descend into my darkest place, and sit there until I can notice the love of God. And that's a journey that never stops. I mean, every day there's a little bit darker, a little bit deeper place to go, a little bit more wounded place, and a little bit more generous portion of the love of God being poured there. So it's an, it's an, it's an inward movement and an outward movement of inward trust to find the love of God in the deepest places and moving outwards towards the suffering of others so that we just make good practice in this inward outward movement of seeing God there is no uh, there is no darkness God won't shine light on join us next week for part two of our interview with Doug Harrison in the meantime remember to always let the light in <laughs>